speaks of God's faithfulness there in 1 Corinthians 1 and 9. And how we've been called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's echoed again by the same Holy Spirit, but this time through another apostle, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Perhaps it goes without saying, but I'll say it nonetheless. Our God is a God of unity. We know that the enemy is the one who wants to bring division and envy and strife amongst people where he can get a foothold in to produce confusion and ultimately every evil work. We said last week and many weeks before, a call to fellowship is a call to positional and functional oneness with God. We've referred back to the fellowship among the members of the Godhead that enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. We see Jesus portrayed that oneness on earth as a man. One of the great events in Scripture is when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. We see the dove descend upon Jesus, that dove being the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, descended upon him and remained. We hear Father speak audibly so that Amen. No, I don't think so. Is that a helicopter or is that me? Victory. Got victory, man. It's victory. It's got victory. What in the world? Are they coming here? It's a Chinook. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. So Jesus comes up out of the water. Father God speaks. The Holy Spirit descends. And and you see the functional oneness there in Jesus' obedience to his Father, the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus to minister and to function under that anointing and the Holy Spirit speaking from heaven with words of affirmation. This kind of oneness, this kind of glorifying of one another, this kind of pointing to and supporting one another is something that has gone on inside the Godhead since there is no beginning of time, since for all of eternity. And it's this kind of oneness, it's this kind of unity, this kind of fellowship that we've been called into the midst of. We said that the oneness of fellowship produces the highest level of cooperation And that the power of agreement and synergy are byproducts of fellowship. You cannot have the levels of agreement and synergy spoken of in the scriptures apart from fellowship. And that would include the agreement and synergy with God, but also agreement and synergy with one another. And we looked at 
many verses that confirm that. Praise God. We said that Jesus recognizes and honors you as an individual member of his own body and that if you're born again, you are one with Jesus as much as any member of your body is one with you. When you preach and teach the word, and I know I'm talking to some people that are preachers and teachers of the word. We don't go by feeling, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that we do, but you, you sense flow and you sense resistance and you, you sense when, you know, people are leaning into what's being said and, and what's not. And I, obviously there are more people watching online right now than we have even in the room, so I'm not trying to say that it's anyone in the room, but definitely there are certain things that I say it this way sometimes, we're either flowing or we're plowing. And flowing is fun, but plowing is necessary. And we've been doing some plowing where this is concerned. And just praying over this and, and meditating on this. The enemy of our souls, he does not, listen to me now, he does not want us to connect with the reality of what it means to be the body of Christ. He fights that tooth and toenail. He does not want us to understand the oneness. He does not want us to understand the fellowship. He does not want to, again, not equal to but equal with. That one doctrine that is clearly, clearly spelled out in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, is one of the most resisted and fought against truths in all of the Word of God. And listen, you know, people that are all in for Jesus, all in for the, the God and the Bible, still a lot of those folks struggle with this, this idea of, of equal with, equal to. So we've asked the question, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? And we said that first and foremost, literal, not figurative. And then we've looked at verse after verse that support that truth and that reality. Now this brings us back to this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. For as the body is one... And has many members, but all members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. After a lot of explanation that we may dig into at a later date, we see the conclusion in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now we see that <clears throat> as the body of Christ in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, it says, And he, he here being God the Father, put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so that phrase taken out of those two verses, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, he's saying that the church, the body of Christ, is the fullness of him, Jesus, who fills all in all. It may be astounding to you, and again, I'm not trying to present these things for shock value 
but we need to allow the Word of God to bring our experience up to match what it says rather than trying to explain away and water down the Scriptures to match our experience. As the body of Christ, we are the fullness of Christ. Now, we made some statements last week. We'll repeat them briefly here. We are the bride to his groom. We are the body to his head. A bride without a groom is not complete. A groom without a bride is not complete. A head without a body is not complete. And a body without a head is not complete. A member of the body disconnected from the body is not complete. My left arm has much more than a relationship with the rest of my body. My left arm completes my body and my body completes my left arm. One cannot be complete without the other. This, again, is not equal to but equal with. To be clear, a left arm without a body is incomplete and a body without a left arm is also incomplete. However, a body can function without a member, but a member cannot function without a body. Now, we're talking about this idea of functional oneness. And we've brought in another word to come alongside this idea of functional oneness, and it's the word cooperation. And I know we spell it C-O-O-P-E-R-A-T-I-O-N, but... I've, I've put it in all caps and with a hyphen to emphasize the idea of cooperating. We'll look at these verses at a later date, but the Bible speaks of our being co-laborers together with Christ. So if my right leg will not cooperate with my head, that's dysfunction. When he's coming, when he says he's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle, we can, I think, also draw a parallel understanding from that is that he's coming for a body without dysfunction. Are you hearing me? He's coming for a body without dysfunction. If my right leg will not cooperate with my head, we call that dysfunction. It's still a member of the body, but it's, it's, it's not cooperating, and so therefore it's not functioning properly. We said if two members of the body of Christ are not cooperating with the head, I'm sorry, if they are both cooperating with the head, they will cooperate with one another. But if two or more members of the body of Christ are not cooperating with one another, someone is not cooperating with the head. Now, I want us to connect two very important passages together, and this may take the rest of our time together tonight, but there's a reason for this beyond trying to come up with something interesting to say or just have one more sermon to preach on fellowship. And if we look carefully, we will see it in these verses and then we're going to go back into the Old Testament where it's elaborated on even further. So let's go back one more time. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And he, Father God, put all things under Jesus' feet. And gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. That's you and me. That's where me and you are in on this. Okay? The fullness of him who fills all in all. All right? Now, let's go to Psalm 8, please. Psalm 8. And begin at verse number 4. The Holy Spirit through the psalmist is asking this question. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? 
For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And what does it say, verse 6? You have put all things under his feet. You have put all things under his feet. This was the original intent of our Father. This was the original plan for our creation, for our existence, is for all things to be under our feet. Remember, as simple as I know how to put it, God is number one, and He created you and me to be number two to His number one. Your life will not work in the number one position, and your life will not work in the number three position. If you're in the number three position, that means you've allowed something or someone to come between you and God. You allowing something between you and Him is not going to push Him out of His position because He is very secure as number one. Amen. And if we try to uh, you know, put ourselves in the position that only God deserves to be in in our lives where we're calling the shots and we're making our own decisions, again, how does that work in for us, right? So God created you to be number one to His number two, which means everything else that God has created is, was meant to be beneath you. Not rule over you, but you rule over it. And we see this in the garden when he created Adam. He gave him dominion. He gave him dominion and told him to be fruitful. He told him to multiply. He told him to fill up the earth. And he told him that if something gets out of line, to subdue it. Because God created us, again, to be number two to his number one. Let me say it another way. God wanted us to be in fellowship, still does, desires for us to be in fellowship with him so that we can rule and reign together with him over the works of his hands. Now, the psalmist is, I picture him, you know, looking up into the night sky, considering the vastness of the universe. And he's asking the question, you know, what is the big deal about us that you're mindful of us and the Son of Man that you actually come and visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels. And that's, a, that's an inaccurate translation. The word angels here in the original Hebrew is the word Elohim. And Elohim means God. Every other place that it was translated in the Bible, it was translated God. But here, it was mistranslated in the King James, the New King James, to say a little lower than angels. And I'm going to show you some other translations, I think, that will make this a little more obvious. And you've crowned him with glory and honor, and have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Again, I'm wanting you to see the connection here. So let's go back to Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he put, God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I think it's pretty obvious, but let's make sure we understand that the feet are not just on the body, but the feet are the lowest part of the body. So if something is under your feet... It's also under your chin, it's also under your shoulder, it's also under your hip, it's also under your knee. In other words, it would be completely beneath you, it would be completely below you if it's, if it's under your feet. Amen. Now we said this a couple of times in class this evening, and I'm going to say it again in here. If Father God ever purposes in His heart to do something, it doesn't matter how much it costs or how long it takes, He's going to see it through to fulfillment. And when God created you and me, to have all things under our feet, amen, 
Obviously, the only way we could ever effectively do that is through our fellowship with Him, through our union with Him. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God and disconnected themselves from God, they lost their ability to put everything that God created under their feet. Remember, angels are God-created beings. Fallen angels are God-created beings. This is why even a fallen man should rule over a fallen angel. When, when Cain is being tempted, God says, sin's at the door for you, but you should rule over him. He personalized it because he's, obviously Satan is the one behind the temptation. So the great plan of God has never changed for us. And remember, he, he has a plan for you and me that goes far beyond this life far beyond this earth and our life in it now as we, as we know it. And so we were always meant to be number two to God's number one. We were always meant to be in a position to where everything else that God created is beneath us. And so now we see the plan of God spelled out for us in the Old Testament, but it's now fulfilled in Christ. Now we are once again united with God. We have been restored into union and standing, right standing, but then also fellowship with Him so that now once again the original plan can be fulfilled that through our oneness with God and our fellowship with God, positional oneness now, learning how to function as one with God, once again all things are going under our feet, amen, through our union with Jesus. Now I want to just take a minute to show you this Psalm Eight and verse 5, I want to show it to you in several different translations. And again, verse 5 says of, of us, of mankind, God has made us a little lower than the angels crowned with glory and honor. Okay, So Psalm 8 and verse 5 from the God's Word translation. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than yourself and crowned him with glory and honor. Same verse from the Amplified Version. Yet you have made him but a little lower than God or heavenly beings and you've crowned him with glory and honor. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, you've made him a little less than God a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. Let me remind you again. In order for there to be compatibility, there must be comparability. The more comparable two things are, the more compatible those two things will be. Amen. Are you following me? So when God made us in his image and in his likeness, He made us for the purpose of having fellowship. Remember, I know a lot of this is review. God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created you and me in their image and in their likeness just a little bit less than themselves for the purpose of compatibility with them, for the purpose of enjoying fellowship together with them. And we see now that Jesus has come and fulfilled Uh, the scriptures and Jesus has come and done for us what he's done for us and given to us what he's given to us so that we can now have the same fellowship with God the Father that he enjoys because that was the plan from before the beginning. You've made him a little less. Remember, fellowship is the ultimate why. Fellowship is the ultimate context. 
you'll never understand these. You'll, you'll write these off as, as, as unimportant as some preacher on a Wednesday night splitting hairs, somebody trying to you know, make a, a splash with some kind of shock value sermon, and, you, and you'll miss the full context and reason of all of this. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. Here is the Young's literal translation. And causest him to lack a little of Godhead. It may not read very easily, but I'm telling you, this is literally translated from the original language. And causest mankind, God, you causest him to lack a little of Godhead. And with honor and majesty compassest him. This one might be one of my favorites. This is from the Good News Bible, Psalm 8 and 5. Yet you made them inferior only to yourself. Come on now. I know it's Wednesday night and it's raining outside, but somebody gets stirred up about that. When God made you and me, He made us inferior only to Himself and crowned you and me with glory and honor. God never meant for you to be His slave, much less the devil's slave, slave to sin, slave to our emotions, slave to substances, slave to money. God didn't create you to be a slave. He created you to be a king and a queen. He created you to be a ruler. He created you to rule and reign in fellowship with Him and for everything else to be beneath you, not to be inferior to anything but God Himself. Do you see why the enemy works so hard to try and install an inferiority complex within human beings? Why he tries so hard to make us feel less than and to make us think and believe that we are unworthy, that we are unable, that we can't when we can, that we that that, that you know everything's against us and so forth and so on. What is an inferiority complex? Constant feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, or unworthiness in your daily life due to a belief that you are inferior. Man. I may do it yet, but I I started to branch off there into a whole sermon series. The body of Christ is dealing with an inferiority complex. Because we haven't acknowledged who we are. We've tried, to, we've tried to ease our way into it. We've tried to, oh, shucks, and, you know, you, you, no, see, again, no, we, who are we? Come on with it, sister, amen. What is man that you're mindful of him? What, what is it about us that you would come and visit us? Why? You know, the Bible says that, that, that God's heart for you and me is something that angels do not understand and long to look into. Kind of like if, you, if, you've, if you've got a friend that's, you know, maybe, <laughs> remember in high school when you, your, your friend you know, was like dating a loser and you didn't understand what they saw? It's like, well, I don't understand. What is this? I don't, I don't get what you see in them. I don't, angels don't get what he sees in us. They don't, they don't understand it. It baffles them. They watched one-third of their angelic brethren rebel against God. And were instantly ejected from heaven and were never asked. Remember, we looked at this in Hebrews. He doesn't give aid to fallen angels. 
but to the seed of Abraham. He never, to our knowledge, never even asked Lucifer if he wanted to work it out and come back when he rebelled. We rebelled. He sent prophets to us. He's made covenants with us that we've broken. He, he sent his only son to die for us. What is this obsession with us? He sings over us while we sleep. He numbers the hairs on our head. He wrote every day of our life down in a book before we ever lived a single day of it. Angels don't understand that. And clearly the psalmist has tapped into that same awe, that, that same like, you know, what is it about us that you love us and you've made us in such a way that we're only inferior to, to God alone? See, Satan is the one behind your feelings of inadequacy. Satan is the one. Now, we play into his hands. Bill Johnson said insecurity is security in the wrong things. So we try to find our security in things like money and science and technology and our own good looks and our own ability. Well, we're going to be insecure because those things can't secure us. We need to find our security, our faith, our trust in God. But an inferiority complex is constant feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, or unworthiness in your daily life due to a belief that you are inferior. You, my brother, my sister, are far from inferior. Matter of fact, how radically would the church change this world for our Father's glory if every, if every member of the body of Christ woke up tomorrow realizing that nothing, they are inferior to nothing in this created realm other than God himself? How differently would we go about life? Satan will convince you that you're inferior to sickness, that you're inferior. Inferior means can't do nothing about it, at the mercy of it. It's bigger than you. It's more than you. It's, it's greater than you. No, no, no. See, greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world against you. You have overcome them, little children. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them. I'll get it right here in a minute because greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. So under his feet means under the lowest part of his body. The church which is his body, under his feet, not under his chin. So there's a difference, not under his chin. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 27. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. Now here's, we'll do this quick and then pick it up next week. Here is the fellowship tie-in. To understand fellowship is to understand that, that a threat to one member of the fellowship is a threat to every member of the fellowship. That's the oneness. That's the oneness of fellowship. Over the course of our study, I've used the example of the covenant fellowship that Pam and I have as one in marriage. And I told you weeks ago that there is absolutely no such thing as her losing and me winning. We either win together or we lose together. If she's losing, I'm losing. You understand what I'm saying? There, I can have no victory if she's experiencing defeat or vice versa. It's not how fellowship works. So in the same way, it would be like if, if something 
threatened one part of my body but wasn't a threat to my entire being in a physical sense. A threat to one member of the fellowship is a threat to every member of the fellowship. But see, you try to understand these things looking through a relationship lens. Remember, a relationship lens is, is one that looks at things from a perspective of what's in it for me. Fellowship doesn't. Fellowship looks at it differently. Fellowship sees all members as one, all members as equal with one another. In the scriptures, we see in, in the book of Acts an example of this, where they had all things in common, all things in common. So if there's all things in common, that's one way to describe fellowship, then a threat to one member of the fellowship is a threat to every member of the fellowship. This is why, again, Father looks at what he enjoys with you and me through the lens of fellowship. He sees it for what it is. And so this is why he took a, how do I say it this way, when when death threatened you and me, he saw it as a threat to him. Not because he was going to get sick and die. Are you following what I'm saying? It, it never was a threat to him like the Godhead is going to, you know, get, have a heart attack or, or a stroke from high blood pressure. Or, you know, although Jesus did become all those things for you and me on the cross. I'm not trying to say that. But you understand what I'm saying here. But, but why did he take the threat? Let's go back to why are you persecuting me, Saul? If you've done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. See, that's fellowship talk. A threat to one member of the fellowship is a threat to every member of the fellowship. This is why Jesus is going to rule until all enemies are under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. uh, For he, again, is put all things under his feet, not under his chin. So as, as long as death is a threat to you and me, Jesus considers as a threat. And he's going to rule until every enemy is under our feet. I don't have the scriptures here. But then he says, once every enemy is put under the body of Christ, under our feet, right? He's then going to present the whole thing as whole to his Father. Now watch this. In the same way that a threat to one member of the fellowship is a threat to every member of the fellowship, a victory for one member of the fellowship is a victory for every member of the fellowship. Amen. A victory for one member of the fellowship is a victory for every member of the fellowship. Stand with me. So this is a fellowship verse that we haven't looked at yet. We'll get into it next week. I want to just share it with you tonight as we close. That's Philippians 3 and 10. It says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. The fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, Jesus suffered, but because we're in fellowship with him, he suffered and won a great victory through his suffering that we now enjoy. Are you seeing this? There are people who try to preach the fellowship of his sufferings, means, meaning you've got to suffer too. Now, obviously, the Bible talks about us enduring hardship and things that, that we may have to face and deal with. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the one who suffered for you and won a victory for you and you now enjoying the benefit of what he did as your representative. That's why Paul could say, I've been crucified with Christ. Was Paul crucified with Christ? Did Paul die for his own sins? No, Jesus did that. Why is Paul saying I was crucified with him? It was just as if I was 
it was just as if I had died for my own sins. It's because Jesus won that victory for Paul. Paul, in fellowship with Jesus now, gets the benefit of that victory. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your great love. We thank you, Father, tonight that we are, we are rubbing up against truth now, Father, that, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, again, it's like any truth. I'm not trying to act like it's something, Lord, that is um, otherworldly. All your truth is spirit and life. All your truth is otherworldly. But Lord, there, there are levels of, of realization. There are levels of revelation. There, there are levels of, of seeing this and knowing this and being rooted and grounded uh, in this and bearing fruit, Lord, of, of these fellowship truths, Lord. And let, unless you reveal it to us, unless you give us the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it and the hearts to understand it, unless you unlock our understanding, Lord, we'll never see these things, we'll never understand these things the way you desire for us to know and hear and understand them. And so, Father, we humbly ask that you help us connect in a, in a meaningful in, a, in, a, in an absolute inside-to-outside understanding, Father, of what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to be in fellowship with you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. You be blessed. You have a blessed rest of your week. Look forward to a great time together on Sunday.